Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Esau finds out that Jacob stole his blessing at the end of Genesis 27, and then in Genesis 28, Jacob's sent away so that Esau won't kill him. And after he leaves, God comes to Jacob in a dream, and Jacob sees just how directly involved God is in his life. And then we'll spend the rest of our time talking about how since he is the king of heaven and on earth, then he's also involved in all of the things that happen with us here. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is lesson four of the study with Isaac and his sons. And last episode, we talked about how Jacob stole the blessing from Esau by tricking his father. And so if you happen to miss that episode, you will want to go back and listen to that because this is the second part of it where Esau realizes that Jacob stole it. Now today I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. So let's go ahead and get started in Genesis 2730. It says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of his father Isaac, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me out of it these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered, Behold, I've made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even also me, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth you shall dwell, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break the yoke from your neck. So obviously Esau and Isaac were both really upset. But even though Isaac knew that he had been tricked, he said that the blessing still had to stand. And so this may have been because things were just that binding back then. If you said it, then there was no taking it back no matter what. 
Or it could be that he remembered God's words to Rebecca and he knew that this was God's plan all along and there wasn't anything he could do about it. But either way, he couldn't take it back. And so Esau immediately says, you know, isn't he rightfully named the deceiver, the supplanter? Look what he's done to me. You know, he's twice now taken something from me. But is that really the case? Did he really take his birthright? Let's look back and see what actually happened. Genesis 25, beginning in verse 29, says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear it to me. So he swore it to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It doesn't sound very tricky to me, does it to you? I mean, he's pretty upfront. There's not really any deception there at all. Now, did he take something? Did he supplant him very well? I mean, he did try to take his place. But the thing is, is that he didn't cheat him out of his place. He told him outright. Hey, I want your spot. And Esau was apparently perfectly willing to give it. And that's why it says that he despised his birthright. Because God does this often where if you don't love something, you hate it. Listen to Luke eleven twenty three. It says, He who is not with me is against me. And he who doesn't gather with me scatters. So basically God's saying he hated it because he definitely didn't love it. He didn't love it enough, right? He didn't think it important enough to protect it, to give it priority. And so he may as well have hated it. It was of no use to him. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 12, 16, and 17. It says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. That was from the New King James Version. So what it's saying is that he wasn't even worthy of this blessing, basically. If he didn't love his birthright enough to protect it, enough to make it a priority, then he also doesn't deserve the blessing. That's what God's saying. And that's the thing about priorities, right? We say a lot of times, well, this is my most important priority. This is the very most important thing to me. But then our actions show something totally different. And that's what he's saying. It's like, if you thought the blessing was so important, then why would you not guard your birthright? Apparently, you didn't really think it was all that important. We can do this too. We can say, my family is the very most important thing to me. And yet, we spend all of our time at work. Or we destroy relationships with the people that we love because we want our own way. Or we just treat them ugly. Or maybe we allow alcohol or drugs to ruin the relationship that we have with those that we love. And then we say, oh, I love them. I want them back. I want them back. Please give them to me. Just as it says that he sought it diligently with tears. But the thing is, is that we've shown we don't care about it that much. And then our family sees, hey, apparently we're not real important to you. We really aren't your top priority because if we were, you would protect that relationship. And so basically that's what they're saying. They're saying, you said you loved us, but it sounds like you hate it because you don't love me enough. If you did, you would stop working so much, spend some time with me, 
you'd be nice to me. You wouldn't choose drugs, alcohol over me, whatever the case may be. So we can understand this kind of thought process, how he despised his birthright. And so we need to be careful about that in our own lives, that we don't say something's a priority to us and then act in a different way. And then whenever someone else says, hey, you're not worthy of that thing that you say you want so much because you haven't set it as a priority, we don't want to be in that situation. So we need to guard the things that we love and we need to make sure that our actions line up with what we say. And if our actions haven't lined up with the things that we say are our priority to us, then we need to change that before other people get fed up and they say, hey, you don't love me enough. Apparently you don't care enough. So Esau's whining and he's saying, hey, he tricked me. He deceived me. Yes, this time he did. This time, he tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing instead of his brother. But the first time, he did not. And God is just saying here in Hebrews, hey, you weren't worthy of it anyway. If you were willing to sell your birthright, you weren't worthy of the blessing. He didn't trick you the first time. You gave it away willingly. So he keeps asking, can you just bless me a little bit? You don't have any blessing left for me? And Isaac's like, well, actually, I mean, I told your brother that he was going to rule over you. So I'm not really sure what's left for you. And Esau just continues to beg, please give me something. And so Isaac told him, he said, well, you're going to live away from the fertile land and the good rain, and you will serve your brother. And then he adds to it that he's going to live by the sword. But he gives him a little bit of hope by saying, when you can't take it anymore, then you're going to break free from this bondage. This is really similar to the blessing that was given to Ishmael. Listen to what God told Hagar whenever she was pregnant with Ishmael. In Genesis 16, beginning in verse 11, he says, And the angel of the Lord said, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and his name shall be Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him, and he will dwell in the presence of his brothers." And then when Abraham goes to God and asks him about Ishmael, this is what God says to him, Genesis 17, 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. So he tells both of them, I'm going to multiply his descendants. He's going to be 12 princes. God says he's going to bless him. It's just that he's not the one that's going to receive the promise. Isaac is the one that's going to receive the promise, not Ishmael. And Jacob will receive the promise and not Esau. It has to go to one brother or the other. And these are the brothers that God chooses. The dads are choosing Ishmael and Esau. Abraham took things into his own hands and had Ishmael thinking that he was the promised son. And God said, no, he's not the promised son. I had a son in mind for you and Sarah, and that is the one that is going to receive the blessing. And then again, Isaac says, well, I love Esau most, and he's the oldest. And so he's the one that's going to receive the blessing. And God said, no, that's not my plan. My plan is for Jacob. Jacob is the one that's going to receive the blessing not Esau. And then we find out in Hebrews that he wasn't worthy. Esau was not worthy of this blessing because he had turned down his birthright. Okay, so let's move on beginning in Genesis 27, 41. 
Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah says to Isaac, I hate my life because of these Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of this land, what good will my life be to me? Now chapter 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take a wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of people. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Badan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he had directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Badan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women didn't please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives that he already had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. Not sure exactly how to say that name, obviously. But anyway, so it seems that Esau has grown up a little bit from the time that he gave his birth right away because he's not so impulsive this time. He actually has enough forethought and self-control to wait until his dad dies before he kills his brother, but he does plan on killing his brother. Now, maybe he has more forethought and self-control, or maybe it's just that he loves his dad so much that he's able to do this where he didn't love his birthright enough to have any type of self-control. I don't know. But either way, Esau believed that his father's death would come soon enough, and he was willing to wait. Now, we don't know how Rebecca finds out what Esau's planning, but she immediately goes into damage control. She told Jacob that she would take the curse upon herself, and Isaac didn't curse Jacob, but he was about to be punished. It wasn't by his father, but his brother was definitely going to take care of it. And so she steps in so that her son won't have to suffer the consequences of his actions, providing that that's what he was afraid of in the first place, and she had told him that she would take care of that. So Rebecca decided that maybe she could separate them for long enough that Esau's anger would subside and Jacob would be safe. And so the plan that she came up with is that she wanted to send Jacob to her brother's family. And she told Isaac that the reason was because she didn't want him to marry these Hittite women. 
And that would make a lot of sense to Isaac because God had told Abraham not to get a wife for him among these women, but to go back to his household and get a wife for Isaac. And so for Rebecca to suggest the same thing for Jacob would make a lot of sense. And so Isaac agreed to that and definitively passed Abraham's blessing onto Jacob, right? Because he says there in verse 3 of chapter 28, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people. May he give you the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring that you may take the possession of the land of the sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So he says, let God bless you, make you fruitful, multiply you, make you a nation, and that you'll have the blessing that God gave to Abraham that your descendants may take possession of the promised land. And then he sends him away to his uncle Laban to find a wife. Now, what's also interesting is that Esau just does not get this. He does not comprehend any of God's plan because he realizes, okay, my dad doesn't like these women around here, so I'll go find another wife also. And so he goes to his father's family to get a wife, thinking that that's the same thing as Jacob going to Rebekah's, but it's not because Ishmael was also the other son, the one that was not the heir of the promise the one that the earthly father chose, but not the heavenly father. So he keeps going this same route, right? That's what we talked about a while ago about Ishmael. He's the one that doesn't receive the heir of the promise. And he's the one that is chosen by his father. And so now he goes to that same son, not the heir, chosen by the father to get a wife for himself. And that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing as going to Rebecca's family. He's just solidifying the legacy of the other son, not of the promise, not chosen by the heavenly father, only chosen by the earthly father. He just never got it. He never understood what was going on. So Esau marries Ishmael's daughter and Jacob is sent away to marry one of Laban's daughters. And so let's go ahead and read and see what happens whenever Jacob leaves. Genesis 28, 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went down towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land that you lay on, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow and said, 
If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay, so this dream is what is famously referred to as Jacob's Ladder because he sees this ladder that reaches from heaven to earth with the angels going up and down on it. And the purpose of this ladder is to show Jacob that God is the king of the heaven and the earth. He has angels going up and down, doing their business in heaven, doing the business on earth. God is busy both places. He isn't just sitting up in heaven watching everything happen down here. He's working on earth just as he does in heaven. So let me read you a couple of verses about that. The first one is found in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. It said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O God, and you are exalted as head over all. Everything that's in heaven and everything that's on earth, you are king of. That's your kingdom. All of it. He's in charge of it all. And then what does it say in the Lord's Prayer? Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come on this earth just as it does in heaven. Again, he's in charge of both places. His will can be done in both places. Sometimes we just look at this world and we think he's just set everything in motion, you know, and then he's just watching from above. But that's not what the Bible tells us. He created this world for himself. Listen to Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So everything that was created was created through and for Jesus. All the thrones, all the dominions, all the powers, everything. He's interested in what happens here. And he is continuously involved. And he's trying to give Jacob a picture of that. Listen to 1 Samuel 2, 6 through 9. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He created it. Everything here belongs to him and he cares about it. The 23rd Psalm, right, tells us about all of the things that he gives to us how he restores his soul, how he leads him, how he's always with him, how he comforts him, how he protects him, how his goodness and mercy follow him forever. God is directly involved. Listen, last verse, to Psalm 46, beginning in verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
just letting us know that this God is with us here on this earth and he's doing all of these things. He's taking care of wars and he's helping us just at the right time. God is directly involved. And I just read you all of these verses because I want you to see that this isn't just in my head, okay? Here's the thing. Much of the time, we want to see things through an earthly perspective because that's all we know. We don't see God working and we don't realize that He's all of the time involved. He always knows what's going on and He always cares and He's working and He's acting. And that changes our entire perspective on the things that are going on in our lives. Whenever we believe that all of this is happening because of another person or because of a circumstance, then that can sometimes cause us to be angry or frustrated or whatever. But whenever we know that God sees and we know He's involved, then we can trust Him. We can trust Him with our lives. And so we need to always remember that He is involved in our job, in our relationships, in all of the things that go on. If you just look back over your life, I bet you can pinpoint something, at least one thing, that's happened to you that you had no idea at the moment, but now you definitely know that God's hand was in it the whole time. He was directing your steps, or He was directing someone else's steps. He was working all things together to make this one thing come about. Just as he's working all of Jacob's life together to make his one promise come about, he does that with us too. Notice how he tells him that. Whenever God comes to Jacob, he says, I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. That doesn't mean that once this is all over, God's going to leave him. What he's saying is, is I'm constantly working to this goal. I'm constantly involved in your life to make this thing happen, and I won't stop until it does. That is a great comfort. That's a great comfort. And it must have been a great comfort to Jacob for God to come to him in the first place because he's just had to leave his home because of his own sin. He doesn't believe he's ever going to see his own father again. And so, you know, Isaac has passed this promise on to Jacob, but it must be comforting for God to come to him directly and say, yes, I am extending Abraham's promise from Abraham to your father and now to you. Even though you had to leave the presence of your earthly father, your heavenly father is going to be with you. I'm staying with you and I'm bringing this promise about. Your family will be as many as the dust of the earth and I will spread you over all of this place. And this place, this place that you're in right now, I'm going to bring you back to it. And this land will belong to your descendant. You won't just be a passerby. You're not just going to be traveling through. This land will be possessed by your family. And so when Jacob woke up, he was like, oh, wow, Um, God must be in this place and I don't realize it. See, that's the thing, how you just wake up one day and you say, oh, wow, he's been in this the whole time and I didn't know it. That's what he's saying. Oh, wow, I thought I was just being sent away and going to find a wife. And I didn't realize that God is with me. God is taking care of me. God is going to bring this promise about. He's here with me. I didn't see that until now. Now I see. Now I see that God's with me. 
And so he sets up this rock that he's been laying on and he makes it as a memorial and he anoints it with oil and he calls the place Bethel. And that means the house of God. And so this place was previously named Luz and now he renames it Bethel because he wants it to be renamed the house of God. And notice in verse 17, he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. He's giving this picture again. He's acknowledging this picture that God just gave to him of God being involved on heaven and earth. And he says, you have a home here on this earth and there's a gate to heaven. You are constantly moving back and forth between these two places. You're constantly involved in both places. You are king of heaven and you have a home here on this earth. You are present both places. You are involved both places. And then notice this place where he says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. He's not putting conditions on God. He's not saying, okay, well, if you do that, then I'll do this. What he's really saying is more like, okay, then if you're going to do all that, then I'm going to make you my God. He's trusting that what he's telling him is true. And he's saying, if you're going to do all of those things, then you will be my God. I will make you my God. And I will set this pillar up and declare this as your house. And I will give you a tenth of everything that you give to me. See, he's saying, if you're going to give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, then I'm going to give you a tenth. If you're going to keep me in this way and you're going to bring me back to this place, then you're going to be my God. And if you're going to give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, then I'll give you a tenth back of everything that you have given to me. It's a covenant between the two. Jacob's promising something in return to God for the promise that God just promised to him. Now, this is just the second time that a tithe is ever mentioned in the Bible. The first time was whenever Abraham gave a tenth to the priest king Melchizedek. And there must have already been some sort of precedent, some sort of custom set of giving the Lord a tenth because they both did this. But there wasn't any formal written command of that until Leviticus, until they had built the tabernacle and established the priesthood and there were priests there for them to give their tithe to and all of that business. When God sets the church up, then he tells the people to give a tenth to that. That's what the tabernacle is. But They must have already been somehow practicing this before it was written down for us to know about. So that's the end of this lesson. Next week, we're going to talk about what happens whenever Jacob gets to Laban and if he finds a wife and how all of that works out for him. Today, we just need to see that God is involved in this entire thing and he's making things work. As we talked about last time, God did not endorse the way that Jacob and Rebekah made this happen, but... Esau was not worthy of this blessing. And Jacob is God's chosen son. And so he is the one that God is going to establish his promise through. And now he's just letting Jacob know, hey, I'm in this. My plan will come about. I will continue to work in your life. And I need you to see that. So if you happen to be in a situation today where it feels like you don't know what in the world's going on, you don't see God working, that doesn't mean that he isn't. God is not just sitting on his throne, looking down here, watching to see what's going to happen. He's constantly at work. He's constantly involved. He cares about the things that happen to us here. 
He cares about his children. He's king of heaven and he's king of earth. He reigns over all things. That should help us to be able to trust him because what better person to have in charge of our lives, right? What better person? That's what it really means to make God Lord of our life because a Lord is someone that's in charge. Just as Jacob acknowledged, hey, if you're going to do all these things for me, then you're going to be my God. That should be something that we can all say. We should all be able to say that to God. If you're going to do all these things for me, I'm going to acknowledge you as my Lord. And I'm going to trust that you care and that you're involved. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please give me a five-star review and also leave comments wherever you're listening. You can email me if you'd rather do that. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode. Thanks and have a good day.